Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, need something that you think I can assist with, or need connected to a guest I've had on, please reach out to the podcast at projectmedtechpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Gunter Wessels. Gunter founded Liquid Smarts, and he leads the global practice and is currently a partner in Stillpoint Software. He is passionate and dedicated to the improvement of human performance and ethical business practices in sales and marketing. I was first introduced to Gunter on a presentation on Joe Hage's MGD Premium Group and quickly realized I needed to have him on the podcast as I think the things he has to say discuss and can help support are things that every startup company in the med tech industry and any company in general has to have. You are constantly, constantly selling and you are constantly, constantly selling, especially as a startup company. So without further ado, my conversation with Gunter Wessels. All right, Gunter, thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Nope, absolutely. Um, hey, let, let's talk about Liquid Smarts here. So, little intro to Liquid Smarts, what it is, what you do, and let's dive from there. Uh, we founded this company as a, an education and performance improvement company where we would train marketing sales teams and so forth. And we've expanded a lot and we do a lot of commercial operations development now. And what that means is we'll work with companies anywhere from early stage pre-market to, you know, market leading or wanting to be aspiring market leaders. And we fix uh, miscommunication, misalignment and discoordination in marketing, sales, sales ops, sales enablement, uh, sales training, sales performance measurement and uh, incentive reward design, um, all of that sort of stuff. So we have a lot of different properties, frameworks, consulting approaches, and a lot of coursework. And I, I spend a lot of time developing people in groups and one-on-one. Okay. And, and, and uh, this was founded when? Um, the company itself has origins in 2006, and okay. uh, we spun it out as a separate entity in 2017. And we are now part of a, a new kind of combined software technology and then performance improvement company as of middle of this year. So we've, we've made a, a merger okay. and we've doubled our size. Okay. And how, about how big is the company now? Uh, we have about 15 associates and team members. Um, mm-hmm. We had a CMO, we have okay. a chief technology officer, and then a variety of specialists here. On a regular basis, I've got a team of seven in the, co- uh, in the commercial ops, and then we've got developers on the other side. Got it. Now, it, you know, like an idea like this doesn't sound like you just, you know, came up with, came out of, out of nowhere with it. It sounds like you probably gained this through some experience. So maybe talk a little bit about where the origins came from, where the idea came from. Is it, is it stuff you learned in the industry because you were in it for a while? Well, yeah, you can't unlearn the experience, but experience is always a mixed bag, right? You've got the good stuff you've learned, and then you've learned a lot of what not to do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we try to innovate around that. The, the core idea here is that humans are humans because we communicate. We form groups and then we interact with each other. And communication is full of problems, miscommunication, misalignment, and so forth. And in fact, it's probably the reason for war, for famine, for all these other things that we just don't communicate properly. Um, and as such, then, if you look at this in a commercial context, there's a lot of capital knowledge walking around in people's heads. Super experienced, battle-hardened, been there, done that, marketers, salespeople, and so on. And it's frozen in their noggin. They don't even know that they know it sometimes. It's tacit. It's hidden to them. They only activate it when they encounter a situation like they've seen before. And there's a generational turnover. There's also a lot of know-how locked away in books and very few people read anymore. So liquid smarts is about getting that street smarts, that know-how out there so that you become more versatile and more capable, more agile in the environment. And that smarts can be transported to you. We can liquefy that frozen capital knowledge and give it to you in areas that help you not lose a deal at dinner or help you not screw up a presentation or help you not screw up an email. And it's a lot of don't mess up sort of stuff because 90% of it in, in any kind of commercial endeavor is getting attention and showing up, right? Yeah. But 10% though, so 90% of success is not success, it's failure. This is not high school. You don't get an A for 90%. It's binary. You got it or you didn't. And so that last 10% is a lot of engineering thinking and improvement around avoiding mistakes and then leveraging best practices. And so that's the smarts, you know, don't go here, go there that we impart during this process, how to market that way, how to get ready for a pre-market, how to enter the market, who to partner with, how to get your salespeople together, what they should be doing, what they should be thinking, do it the smart way. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like that. So my first introduction to you was through Joe Hage's uh, MGD premium, whatever that is, presentation. I found it fascinating. Let's, let's, the, the one thing I wanted to talk about is that psychology of an effect, effective interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all stemming from Aristotle. Okay. Unfortunately, it's that old. Uh, we don't study a lot of Greek philosophy anymore. Yeah, uh, only only nerds do. Um, so you you probably did a lot. Um, yeah, thank you. Yep. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the the great majority of folks out there that are earning a living with sweat and and effort out there don't have that nuance. But back back then, he came up with the rules of rhetoric, which was ethos, pathos, and logos. Right? Ethos is your credibility, your ethic. Pathos is sympathy, empathy, the feeling, the emotion, and logos is logic, reason, and reasoning. And this was how to be persuasive. You got to be credible. You got to connect with people's emotions and you've got to give them reasons to support their emotional decision. That wasn't psychology. That was philosophy. Now, round about, you know, this century, a lot of people toyed with this stuff, but Kahneman and Tversky won the Nobel Prize for economics, for behavioral economics, which their prospect theory, the prospect of losses looms larger than the prospect of gains. Humans are more motivated by fear than by joy. We seek to avoid losses much more than we seek to approach gains. So this approach avoid story, which is a big part of psychology and dual process models, just keeps showing up and again and again and again. 
Mm-hmm. So the psychology of a persuasive communication needs to understand that number one, decisions are emotional and emotions are quick. They are evoked quickly and they don't have any real reason. It's feelings. And so they reach over to give me a reason why I'm feeling this way. And then reasons and logic and facts and figures and all the stuff we're trying to put in your hand to buy, then it becomes relevant. But to become a really effective influencer, you've also got to remember the approach avoid process during this thing, which means negative emotions, fear, anger, greed. Those are much more motivating than, you know, uh, understanding, satisfaction, um, you know, that sort of stuff, you know, joy. Yep. I mean, I'll do a lot of things for joy, but I'll do a lot more to get myself out of jail. Right. And that's the point. So influencing needs to understand these things. And there are ways to do that appropriately that are completely predictable according to psychological uh, knowledge and theory and so forth. Okay. Do you, you, let's, let's talk about those. But before we go on, you brought up uh, Danny Kahneman and, and the other, what's the other guy's first name? Amos. Um, Amos. Tversky. Yeah. The, there's a book called The Undoing Project. Michael Lewis wrote it. Uh, mm-hmm. about the two of them. It's a great book. So for any listeners out there who want to learn more about Mike this. Mike Lewis writes great books, period. Oh, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. He's my favorite author. Uh, yeah. or, oh, sorry, one of them. Um, but, but I've read- uh, Not Gladwell. Of- Gladwell's a good journalist. Lewis is a thinker. Yeah. Lewis yep. is a thinker. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's dive into these then. Uh, you, you brought it up. Let's, I didn't mean to diverse there. Or, I mean, uh, redirect too much. Let's, let's dive into those. <clears throat> The, um, the influencing and yes. negative emotions. Yeah. 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 Right, so for example, like, um, I'll just, we'll just make it practical. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with COVID right now. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately the environment has become hostile, right? It used to be, if you see someone with a mask in a bank, they're going to hold the place up. So they were a threat. Right. Now, if you see someone with a mask in a bank, they are considerate and a good citizen. That's a remarkable shift. So people have become a lot more um, apprehensive about just life in general. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're moderating to that. But so in a environment, then if you're walking into a business environment, trying to influence and get some, some, some work done, you know, get some deals done, you're dealing with a higher baseline of fear. And you're dealing with a higher degree of urgency on things that you may or may not be able to affect. And so now the prospect is how do I get them to get unstuck from what they're doing and focus on something that I want them to focus on. So I have to find a pretty significant unrecognized problem and build some emotional energy around it to get them to focus. Otherwise the head's not going to move. So a lot of what we're doing these days is engaging our clients to say, here's how to get attention. Now you're not going to, you can't hurdle the tax secretary, break through the doors and go, I'm here to save your business. Not that that worked in the first place, but you don't have the opportunity to, to impose upon someone's physical space. And emails are easy to ignore. Calls are easy to ignore. Texts are easy to ignore. Anything like this is easy to ignore. So how do you say something that draws attention and so forth? And we've got some, you know, simple frameworks to do that and behavior patterns that you can deploy yourself to 
make sure that you're doing the right things to stimulate the right conversations. And when you're there, more importantly, don't screw it up and don't give them a reason to disengage. Mm -hmm. Give them every reason to stay in the pocket so that we can continue to influence. Right. So especially like you said, I mean, in, in the COVID environment, um, but, but even moving forward, I think a lot of uh, med tech startups, um, as you know, which is the majority of my listeners, they, even, even during conferences, when there was conferences that were in person, um, you know, there's things you can do to get noticed at conferences, but, but that's not your only place to find investors, right? Then you got to keep them hooked. Uh, or, or you got to reach out digitally before you're going to have to do it even after COVID's over and, and, and we can, we can go back to in-person conferences. You're still going to have to engage people through, uh, emails, um, uh, presentations, trying to engage them on LinkedIn. So, I mean, what are some of those best practices? How do you, how do you hook them in? Is there, is there some simple things you can give? Well, sure. And mm-hmm. so look, I mean, and we, we've gone through the, the fundraising process um, a couple times. We, we've still self-funded ourselves, mm-hmm. not because we couldn't raise the money. It's just, we didn't think it was a good fit. And that's mm-hmm. the important part. Um, two things to realize is number one, who's hurt is bigger. Well, who's got the bigger pain point? You are the investors. And it's hard sometimes for you to actually make the perceptual swing that they've got money they need to put to work. And there aren't very many good deals out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money stacked up looking for good deals. So are you a good deal? And don't sit there and put a bucket on your head and bang on it till you hear what you want to hear. How do you make yourself a good deal? So the Mm -hmm. first and most essential part of this is diligent planning, but plan not about what you're going to say, plan about what you're, what they want to hear and what they're looking for. And if you don't know what that is, use your social network and get some coaching and advice because everybody in that money raising world thinks in terms of blunt objects and, and, uh, and, and simple movements. There, There is no elegance in a value prop in that world. It is, you know, hit overhead, knock out, dog want club, you know, mm-hmm. it's that simple. So can you say it that simply? And can you articulate the reason why that simplicity is attractive to your customer market? And they're not going to know in, in med tech, they're not going to know. They just, they might even specialize in med tech and they don't get the business. They don't get the buyers. They don't, it's just a generalization from whatever worked over there on a consumer market. And I'm not being insulting. It's just, that's the way it goes, right? right. They think in, in simple chunks. So did you plan? Number two, did you profile the people you're going after? Because they all have websites and they all have this stuff and they have portfolio companies that there may or may not be a tuck in or type of fit with. And what's their time horizon? Are are you looking for um, early stage? Are you looking for, you know, round A, B, C, you know, series A, B, and C? Why? You know, are there other ways to do this? One of the organizations I was working with, I said, look, don't, don't bother with this. Go get a syndicate of people together who understand this and have them become your angel round, but put them together. Don't go wait for angels to come to you. Put them all together. You, you put together a round of 50 people who can put in $50,000. You've actually got more than you're going to raise in an early stage series, pre-series A. Mm-hmm. There are people like that out there who get the business, who get that sort of stuff and then get you into the next stage. 
And look, if you're trying to meet people who are key opinion leaders and that sort of thing in COVID, especially this is tricky, right? Except for the fact that the, the trick or the mechanism or the best practice we would suggest that don't call it a trick ever again. The trick is here to sit there and say, what are you going to do after this blows over? And what are you doing to prepare yourself? Here are three things. And I've, I've looked at your organization. I've looked at what you guys are look, trying to do. And I've got an idea to assist you with your, what appears to be your strategic plan. Is that the sort of thing that we can discuss for 15 to 20 minutes to see if there's a fit? Because if there's a fit and I'm halfway right, this will work out really well for both of us. But I need funding. You need solutions. Maybe we can work together. And that's the other thing. I am never shy about pointing out my faults. Mm-hmm. We don't have this. We don't have that. We need this because they're going to think about it and find it out anyway. So put it out there and get in front of it. And then next say, but this is what we're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. I'm a mix of good and bad. You're a mix of good and bad. Why don't we make the best out of what we've got here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great advice. Um, there was one thing and I forgot to write it down and I knew I would forget about it as we were going. Cause you said it, um, you know, well, maybe I do remember actually now. So, so we're, we're, we're kind of talking, talking, talking about raising money here. Uh, and this is a, a difficult task, um, for a lot of med tech companies, especially early on. Um, it's, it's, I think it's difficult because a lot of times it's, it's, it's engineers, it's scientists who are, uh, maybe not used to pitching for money. Uh, and I, I mean, if you've never done it before, I don't, you don't have any experience in it. Um, I think it's people who aren't necessarily salespeople. Um, so they're not used to selling themselves, but in the grand scheme of things, one thing I've learned is, is we're all salespeople. We're all trying to convince, you know, other people or, or other, other people to have an interest in what we're trying to tell them to do. I mean, so everything's sales. No, I mean, not everything, but a lot of it falls into sales. Dating uh, is sales. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's exactly it. <laughs> so, uh, so we, we're talking about raising money. Um, we're talking about like getting, getting noticed on LinkedIn, uh, getting noticed by email, these types of things. There is one thing that we could talk about now that I implemented after you told us. And it was in the subject line, of your emails, you keep it simple, um, and and you put your your first and last name at the end of it. And there was I don't I don't remember what the other rule was, but but basically what I interpreted from it was was keep it simple and concise, my name, and then in the actual body, have a it, it can't be long, and there has to be a hook. And I've done that for my last like five or six cold call emails, and I've gotten responses on all of them, but one talk about more about this. Uh, cause I just butchered what the actual advice was cause I only heard it once, but I'll remember it now. I promise. <laughs> okay. So this was, um, you know, super at, at uh, must win this opportunity, uh, mm-hmm. example of a best practice email to, to get access. And right. it was, uh, it was written by sales a lot, right? Sales yep. a lot. Uh huh. Um, it's part of our distance learning course and to, to back up a, a touch, yep. um, your startup, you have really cool technology. 
you're all a bunch of engineers and really smart people with PhDs and LMNOPs and it, and I have one too. So I'm, I'm very sincerely, it sounds like I'm sarcastic. I'm very impressed. Yeah. You've made a huge impact, but nobody cares and neither should you. It's about what this does, right? This is the old, old adage. People don't buy drills, people buy holes. So don't talk about the drill bit or the drill. Talk about the hole. That is, a, and it is so easy to walk away from that principle is why we keep saying it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Your technology is not interesting. I'm sorry. You spent all this time working on it, getting it all done. Stop talking about it. Stop now. We want to talk about the customer, have some empathy for once, right? Mm -hmm. Because like I have developers and they'll say it, you know, it'd be awesome. Our technology would be fantastic, but it wasn't for the users. And they're right, but nobody cares about the technology. And the only reason we get to have developers is because nobody cares about the technology. That's where elegant solutions are made. So the idea behind the email is to first and foremost, First, stand out from the crowd. And so you put your company name. So, you know, um, you know, Super Evil Megacorp, which is my favorite name of a company, Super Evil Megacorp Introduction Gunter Vessels, right? That's the introduction line. And Super Evil Metacorp would, Megacorp would get an, would get an open anyway. Um, from there, it's Dear Sue. And then we talk about the purpose, outcome, structure, and timing of the request for a meeting. So the purpose of this email is to request a 30 minute meeting about your, you know, a a report we have about your environment and some findings that will affect your strategic planning outcome. At the end of our meeting, I'll be able to tailor the results so that the, the report is short and meaningful to you. We can provide it to you, but I need to ask you some questions first. This takes about a half an hour. How's next Tuesday from 7.30 to 9 or from 11.30 till 12. Do any of those times work? Sincerely sells a lot, right? Mm-hmm. A couple of things that are important there is, um, you know, company name, are you kidding? And your name, it's on the email, isn't it? Not necessarily. And every, every one of those spam emails tries to come up with a HubSpot too, come up with this real catchy, flashy thing, you know, I don't even know what it is. I'm not that creative. What I want to do is I want to look like the other guys. So if everybody's tweeting, I'm writing a thank you card, mm-hmm. right? Cause I want to stand apart. And this is a way to do that. I'm with XYZ corporation and I got a name and I'm introducing myself or a meeting request. And then you go through purpose. Why would you care about this? What's in it for you as an outcome? Okay, it's a conversation with a couple of questions, a few questions, some questions, and then, you know, timing. Can we do it? This, 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 and this. Sincerely, best regards, hugs and kisses, eternally yours, Gunter Vessels. Mm-hmm. That signature line also needs to be uncluttered. You used to have your company name. They already have your email address, maybe a phone number, maybe your website, not your social media, and please no inspirational quote about it's the small steps that lead to a long journey or the world wasn't made in a day or, you know, whatever nonsense you've got that just quit all that gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Straight into the point. I like that. It's good advice. Um, 
decrapify it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about, uh, I think this is something that that's pretty common. I mean, it was probably my belief for a long time as I was, when I, especially when I was practicing chemistry in the lab and then I moved into real technical roles. Like my first job in a, in a CRO, uh, so contract research organization environment was a technical role. And, and the, the, I would have these conversations with, with, um, customers and I'm sitting there, I go, why do I need some marketing? Why do I need sales? What's the point, right? What's the purpose in a company? Um, and then uh, flash forward five years, I'm a business development director for Covance. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a complete 180, but, but I kind of saw it, but, but what's your pitch? I mean, what's the, why, why need marketing? Why need sales? What's the point? You need to ask yourself those questions and they're very important because there's, there's not always a, you need it answer. Mm -hmm. Number two, if you don't have the infrastructure to support marketing and sales, you're not going to be able to capitalize on it. Mm -hmm. Also, if you don't have the runway to support marketing and sales, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Just, you know, get, get funding or get, get, uh, get into a liquidity event. The purpose of marketing and sales and, and marketing it for a young company is about gaining awareness and targeting likely clients. So, and look, there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, inbound future, you know, you need to do inbound marketing. You need to have a social media strategy. You need to have the four P's, right? So where am I promoting the best? And, you know, do I have a product or product and is my price correct? And have I, you know, how do I promote this and where should I be seen? And should we go to these trade shows and do it and all of this stuff, right? How do I get my stuff to market? is really a lot simpler than that. It is, if I make this stuff, who's going to buy it? And how can I shorten the distance between the stuff and the customer? You know, in fact, I want that distance to be zero because they're going to buy it. How do I do that effectively and efficiently? Marketing is a, the, the organization's sense organ. Okay. So it is your, or your, your, and, and sales as a subunit of that. It's your see, hear, taste, smell, touch, and feel part of the organization. Marketing should tell you what customers are thinking, what they're feeling, when they're prone to buy, why they buy, and how we get them to notice to come into a conversation with us where they have the opportunity to buy. Sales is about gaining attention, gaining interest, gaining conviction, and placing systems and that's what they do and sales sales support and sales effort is only required if it is a complicated or highly differentiated product best way to think about this is mattresses you know there's like joe's mattress store which is for going out of business for the for the last 25 years and he's got Sealy, Serta, Posturepedic, and all this sort of stuff and you can go buy those mattresses they're relatively undifferentiated you can get them at costco too but if you go to a select comfort store or a Tempur-Pedic store, they only sell their stuff because it's highly different, highly differentiated. And as a result, you need someone to show you how to get the value from the price premium out of the bed. There's a reason that you need to learn 
to, to, to extract what you can out of that solution. And that's the function of, of technical or technology salespeople. How do I help you buy this in a way that you can actually use it? How do I tailor it, adjust it and, and configure it so that you get what you need out of it? I can't just throw in an MRI and go, congratulations, you've got it. It needs coils. It needs gradients. It needs, you know, a whole pile of other configurations. It needs certain, you know, certain packages. It needs a software package need on and on different channels, different channel configurations based on the application. It depends on what you need, what you're going to need to buy. It's not just one thing. So configuration matters. And if configuration matters, or if it's complicated, you need sales. Mm-hmm. That's not where you start. When you're starting out, what you need is a really smart CCO. We're actually doing this because we're finding a lot of clients are kind of, you know, scratching around. They go, we're going to hire a marketer. It's like, do you have a chief commercial officer? No, can't afford it. It's like, you, let, me, let me rent you one. I've got a guy who does this stuff. It's his practice area. He, he comes in and sets up your commercial operations systems, processes, and that's so you can support marketing, support sales, and so on. You got to do that back office stuff. If you don't have it thought that stuff through, forget it. You, you are just going burn the money. Don't give it to me. Just send it to, send it to your favorite charity that, that at least some good will come out of it yeah. because you're not going to get anything for it except frustration and the opposite of success. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's really good advice. Um, is that something that, that your, your team offers then is, yeah, is we've got a yeah. launching from pole position service line where, you know, we talk about pre-commercial stuff and there's the, we, we have the ability to fractionally place a CCO yeah, and then, you know, build, maintain and transfer. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, probably pretty appealing to, you know, some of the startup companies. So something, especially on the medical device side, um, you know, raising funds is difficult. It's not, we're not, MedTech is not pharma. Um, you know, there, there's just not as much money there. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things I work with startup companies on is, Hey, remain as lean as possible. Keep as much equity as you can because you're going to lose it when, uh, you go raise money. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that's just the, that's just the truth. But, uh, you know, so, so, so sometimes it's difficult, uh, you know, to find these, uh, chief, chief commercial, commercial officer, you know, we, I, I've actually never talked to someone about it. So I appreciate you enlightening me. Um, but, but a lot of times it's, it's a, it's a VP of regulatory, you know, someone who's been around the industry for a while, they come in and they, they want equity and some big paycheck and these companies can't afford it. You know, so I say, well, just oh. rent one. That's pretty easy to do. Right. Um, but it's good to know about this, this, you know, Reg- you regulatory know. is a component of the commercial ops. Right. I've yeah. got to clear all the regulatory hurdles. I've got to clear all the, I've got to be able to support service, all these other things. So how do I get the back office ready so that when we're ready to launch, yep. we don't trip and fall on our face and walk, get up with a bloody. Yeah. 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 yeah this is a whole nother piece to it. This is, this is good. This is uh, very helpful. I mean, I talked to a lot of these companies and, and a lot of, a lot of my focus is on making sure they have a plan for a lot of things that would feed pretty much into this role. Um, You know, have a reimbursement plan, have a regulatory plan, uh, build your clinical around what you're trying to sell, what you're trying to get reimbursed and and your regulatory strategy, right? Have all those things built in. So, so this is nice. This is really good to know. And I'm sure it'll help a lot of clients. Mm -hmm. Um, 
some of the other things I had written down, um, I'm going to save the, the salespeople are born one for last, but uh, mm. superstition and selling. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this a little bit. I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on this. <laughs> well, the, the issue is that um, we, let's, let's say we are as salespeople for a second. So if you're not a salesperson, you're not going to necessarily relate to this, but you will on a, a couple of other levels. And that as we, as we conduct ourselves in any kind of performance-based role where our inputs are tied to important economic outputs, if the pathway's not been perfectly structured, you know, like an audit mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, a, a manufacturing process, if it's much looser than that and up to your interpretation and worse, the outcomes are a bit random. They seem a little random. They'll vary. They'll vary in their timing and they'll vary in their success. You have what ends up becoming a gambler's potential mentality because, you know, if I just do this and this and this, then it pays off and I do it again and then it pays off and then I do it again and it doesn't pay off, but I do it again and then it pays off. And pretty soon you're just yanking on the, on the, on the arm on the slot machine and just what you're not even watching this stuff yet. You're just kind of yanking it. Mm-hmm. Superstition in sales then leads to, well, we've got to have this in place. We've got to have that in place. And if we look at all the data, even when they have data on salesforce.com, there are these old school theories that say, you know, what's really necessary is, you know, what you've got to do is you got to go to dinner with a customer. If you can't go to dinner with a customer, you're not going to build a relationship because relationships are only built over dinner. Not with someone in regulatory, mm-hmm. not with someone in regulatory, maybe with someone in quality. And by the way, it's a huge step forward. So maybe at some point in the relationship, it's good for dinner, but not to get the first deal, two, three, or four deals. Mm-hmm. Maybe you, are really awkward at dinner. I would need to train you on that. But dinner doesn't equal sales. Dinner equals relationship. Relationship equals sales plus a whole bunch of others. It's very difficult to determine what happens. And so the way we fix this sort of stuff is by creating a process. And there's two, two elements to this. There's a process. There are stages and gates that, go, that happen during a decision. Mm-hmm. And you can see these unfold. And then there's methodology, which is how you migrate someone through the different steps and stages of the process. There's a lot of sales processes out there that are, you know, built on requirements to challenge the customer, throw an insight into the mix, do all this sort of stuff. Some of them are more aggressive. Some of them are less aggressive. And there's, you know, there's just lots of rules of thumb made up by guys like me with less education, but a long history of, for example, selling swimming pools or, uh, you know, cars or, you know, sold a bunch of software services in in a market that doesn't even exist anymore, but really knew how to sell. Well, okay. Very little around influence, fundamentals, psychology, science, you know. Like, mm-hmm. like science. I like science. I prefer science to fiction. <laughs> science fiction is pretty good, but I still prefer science. Right. A lot of this stuff is, ends up being voodoo magic. And 
salespeople perpetuate this stuff because many, so here's how this happens. Real, uh, think back. I got an MBA in 1998, a little while ago. And back then, I was just in healthcare and everyone was doing e internet, pizza on the internet, right? Internet, internet, dot-com bubble. Everyone's like, nah, we're out of that. Real estate, real estate. We're in real estate. If you were in real estate during that period of time and you just skipped along, you know, had a one-year, two-year window, you could have done three or four steps in companies and raised yourself up a lot based on your performance, which was built on a artificially inflated market. Mm -hmm. And so you'd begin to believe that your performance was actually your own doing when you were just swept up by everything else because you don't really know what you're doing. And if you mm -hmm. don't know what you're doing, you quickly become superstitious and you have a confirmation bias that I'm right. Mm -hmm. A lot of CEOs get this way. They're in a company that's in a super fast growing industry and they get showered with praise for being the visionary that created the industry. And it's not true. Mm -hmm. Good management happens the same in periods of up and downturns and it defies the trend. And that's the final point. I went through this and I studied it as part of my doctoral dissertation is what makes salespeople perennial high performers? How do they stay on top, top 10% over their career? for a huge long period of time. How do they do that? Influence based on credibility. They work hard, they work smart, they're creative, but that all is tempered by this focus on internal and external credibility. They make sure that they're increasing and deploying their expertise in their craft and in their market so that they are trusted internally and externally. And for that reason, they remain very productive, even during downturns, because they get the business that is, that is going to happen. They don't miss the business because, oh, well, the, you know, the market's tanking. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who sold houses. They're the ones who sold airline tickets. They're the ones who sold vacations during COVID. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's impressive. Uh, you, you brought up the pulling the lever. Uh, and and uh, so I, I tell um, a lot of my friends and family, uh, I think it might have been in the Undoing Project, but it's that it's the classic study of of why gambling is addictive to humans. And I think they did it on uh, birds. I think is what yep. what it was. And um, intermittent reinforcement. Yeah, yeah, and and so I, I've never actually thought of that though in a sales capacity, and it's exactly right. Um, there are salespeople, and and uh, that that do this. Their their sales numbers do this. No hold it up for you but it goes up and down up and down up and down and 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 they think it's oh this year i did i did this this and this in that order and oh well i did it on this one too okay okay good and then you're yeah, right they find patterns that actually aren't there right yeah uh, and so I, i've never thought of it in that way but it makes it makes total sense um okay salespeople are born we hear, I hear this all the time. And the first time I said it to you on our pre-call, you said bullshit. Right. So explain. Well, you know, I've, I've been in and out of hospitals a lot as a salesperson and I've mm -hmm. never been able to spot one in the NICU mm -hmm. or in the well baby nursery. Mm -hmm. Um, I've dealt with a lot of toddlers. I've had kids, um, didn't really find that because I find that all children are excellent salespeople. Mm -hmm. If you've ever, you know, McDonald's banks on this. 
they, they, they teach, they teach kids to want to go to McDonald's prior to this, you know, great, you know, great virus of 2020. Yeah. Can't go indoors. I want to go there to play. I want a happy meal, not a sad meal, a happy meal, not a pretty happy meal, but a very happy meal with a toy. The reinforcement, the reward and the approach of that, they continue to pester you and push and push and push and push and pit. pit, pit. They get what they want. They're influencing you. Kids are phenomenal influencers. And then for some reason, thank goodness, they go through adolescence and then they withdraw and become awkward and then become trapped in their own head and become normal adults. (laughs) Salespeople are made they are made deliberately by either you don't have any other options or you have a propensity to have a low uh, low tolerance for mundane tasks but that is a that is a trait that is not a sales trait that is a behavioral trait and so you you'll be a good salesperson becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because there are a lot of things in the job that you find enjoyable like you know not having to say, can I go play golf now? You know, actually it's rewarded. Ooh, you know, so, but great salespeople practice a skill and it is only a skill and it is a skill like golf. Now are golfers born? You might have an aptitude. You might have a high level of kinesthetic intelligence but it doesn't mean you're a good golfer until you practice and practice and practice and talent talent is a variable but it doesn't guarantee success what it does is give you an advantage in that process and i have not figured out whether or not it is all emotional intelligence all raw intelligence computational intelligence i don't think it's kinesthetic intelligence you know being good to play with any kind of ball uh but you know great athletes tend to have the discipline that's required to persist in the face of negativity. And maybe that's it. If you can f- show me a kid who will, um, who, who will take years of negative feedback and continue to roar forward, that kid's going to be an entrepreneur. That kid's going to be a great salesperson, but you have to understand and be able to make a perceptual swing and great salespeople are some great salespeople are broken. So if you're saying they're born, then how did you break them into this high need for acceptance and high need for consensus, right? I need you to like me and I need you to agree to me, agree with me. That's a prototypical behavioral need for a salesperson. They are attracted to getting that out there and then they will continue to stand in front of customers until they get them to agree. Yeah, oh, finally they accept me. Phew, I'm, I can, I'm okay now. That's a defect. It's a productive defect, but it's not, you know, now we're saying that broken people make good salespeople. I'm not so sure. It is a skill. Mm-hmm. And it is completely within anyone's, within anyone's graph to achieve a, at least a first level of mastery with. And it is not ugly and you're not asking people to do all of the myths that go along with it saying, oh, I could never sell. You're right. You could never sell. With that attitude, I don't know how you could do anything, but it's not outside of your grasp. You can do it. It is a doable thing. It's just like learning hopscotch. It takes a little coordination, takes yes. a little practice, and you can get the hang of it. And now, you know, you have a pathway in front of you, some footwork, 
Mm-hmm. All of this is trained. Rainmakers, super high performance salespeople do predictable things. It is a state, not a trait. It's not inborn. It is a way of being, like a mindset, like a like a philosophy, like a behavioral norm or pattern, like being an athlete and working out all the time. Mm-hmm. Those are not traits. Nobody yep. is born a bodybuilder. Some right. have good genetics. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I kind of went through all this, so it, uh, and, and, and every time, every, every day I'm working on some, some new trait, to to, uh, to use or, or some new skill set to use. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, it was, it was the same thing. It was when I was in my technical roles, it was like, Oh man, I could, I could never do sales. And then you get into sales and you start doing things and you realize, Oh my goodness. I don't know what I'm doing. I actually need to study this. Um, it's a communication you know. skill. Yeah. It is a, yeah. it is 100%. a purposeful communication skill. So are you a born writer? Yeah. Not me. Mm-mm. Well, I mean, but no one is right. Are you right. a born speaker? Yeah. But you can acquire the skills. And if you focus and practice, you can become very eloquent. You right. You can become very, very well written. Right. And I mean, that, that was the first thing I learned in, in sales was um, it's, it's, not a, it's not just about being outgoing and, and, and friendly and just talking to people. It's, it's being purposeful about what I have to say. And, and if it's not something they want to hear about, how do I make it something that they need to hear about? Right. So, so that was always the key for me. I'll tell, uh, you, yeah. I'll tell you a story. So uh, I'm the salesperson, Joe's the marketer and we hired Joe. And we went through this whole process and so on. So as a practice, I mean, I was a partner in the firm. Yeah. Now in public, you can tell if someone's outgoing. When, when I put on my, my suit and I'm starting to sell, the, the script comes in and the behavior modifies. You adapt to your environment. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, business, business owner. He was marketer. We were talking about all this stuff. And then we left to go to the airport. I'm clammed up. I'm not looking anybody in the face. I mean, I'm just like, I just leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm withdrawn. I'm an, I'm an extroverted introvert myself. Yep. Joe was walking down the line, greeting and meeting everybody in line. Hi, I'm Joe. Where are you from? And I was like, Oh man, this guy, he is that way. Right. Hi, I'm Joe. Yeah. To me, I'm like, just that, that is the most, no, no, <laughs> don't touch me. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. I mean, bless you. Have a wonderful life, but please <laughs> let me be. Yeah. Not outgoing. Right. I sold a lot more stuff than Joe when I was a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Joe's a better marketer. Joe's into the people and the feelings and all that stuff. I'm just show me what works. Let us get it done. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, good, good, good story. I like that. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Joe Hage. Yes. Or are you just using Joe in general? No, Joe Hage. Yep. He greeted like 10 people in the airplane. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, goodness. Um, all right. Well, listen, do, do you have anything else before I, I wrap this up here? Um, you know, so the, the, the most important thing, I think, for the um, med device industry is to find its rightful footing in innovating and improving healthcare delivery in general. 
So meaningful innovations are yet to come out of this space. And being like the major companies in this space is not where you belong. We're going to be much more technology and cloud empowered. These devices are going to get a lot smarter at a, at a more and more micro level. Mm-hmm. But that makes your solutions more complicated. So the key thing to keep in mind here is being able to paint a clear picture about the way you evolve patient care and tell a decent story about that. And that story should become part of your organizational lore so that it begins to shape your culture so that you are continually focused on your customer. As a startup, you have every opportunity to introduce the patient and the patient improvement process into your organizational narrative. And if you do that, you're going to have a much easier time recruiting talent because they'll know they're doing something and you'll have a much easier time raising money, recruiting investors. You'll have a much easier time marketing and a much easier time selling because we're talking about what matters. The profit will come. This reimbursement system is not going to let us down the amount of healthcare consumed over the next couple decades will nearly double. We're in a situation where we have to move fast and move smart. And as a result, we need to be productive and get our communications out of our communication problems out of the way, communicate more clearly and focus that communication on what matters. And you've got a strategic advantage. I'm all about reducing friction in communications. And again, miscommunication, misalignment, and discoordination that comes out of that stuff are the things that interfere with your market go lot, you know, your go-to-market plan. And so thinking about things a little from a little different angle will serve you just in self-reflection very, very well. So uh, we're happy to be here and participate in the industry. If we've given you something to think about, I'm very happy. You know, friend me on LinkedIn. Uh, send me an email, Gunter at liquidsmarts.com. That's smarts, plural, mm-hmm. smarts.com, plural, G-U-N-T-E-R. And uh, we'll be happy to chat with you. If we can help you, we will. We want to make sure that healthcare improves. Yep. Like this is exactly why I wanted to have you on. Uh, that's a perfect way to end it. Uh, but, but startup companies need to understand this, that through the entirety of their company, they are always, always selling. It's just who are they selling to and they're always communicating. So do it correctly. So to wrap up, if, if you look, depending on what application you're currently listening to the podcast on, you look up or down an inch, I'll have uh, Gunter's email, LinkedIn, the, the website to Liquid Smarts, all of that hyperlinked right there. I'll click, take you right there. Um, but like Gunter, I really appreciate your time. Uh, like I said, hang on for a second and we'll wrap up. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, if you have any questions or comments for myself or Gunter, please reach out to the podcast at projectmedtechpodcast at gmail.com. Or please look up or down an inch on, your, on the platform you're listening to the podcast on, and there'll be a link to our LinkedIn pages. Please connect with us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Thank you, and have a great day.